Welcome to the Norton Cancer Institute Hopecast, a chance for those affected by cancer to speak their story, to hear their thoughts, their struggles, what makes them happy, and at the end of the day, what helped them get through it. Today we're talking about the vagus nerve. It carries signals to your brain, heart, lungs, and digestive system. It's the longest cranial nerve in your body, running from your brain all the way to your large intestine. Your vagus nerve plays a part in controlling involuntary sensory and motor functions like your heart rate, speech, mood, and even urine output. It helps your body switch back and forth between your flight or fight responses and your parasympathetic mode where you're more relaxed, which is exactly where we want you to be today. So for those listening, we're going to figure out ways to stimulate this vagus nerve to help you calm down when you're feeling anything weird at all. Meditation is a practice to help calm your mind and focus on deep breathing. While doing meditation, try extending your exhales, making them longer than your inhales. This will help slow your heart rate. Meditation can regulate your autonomic nervous system. It has a good effect on lowering rapid breathing, rapid heart rate, and cortisol levels. Yoga can also be helpful for the same reasons Just make sure you pay attention to your breathing. Exercise is important for all of us, no matter what stage of life we are in, no matter if we're dealing with cancer or not, working out and getting your body moving can affect your vagus nerve. Internal training and endurance training can increase your vagus nerve activity and improve your heart rate variability. Exercise lowers your sympathetic nervous activity and controls your parasympathetic response so that you have good balance when it comes to your cardiovascular and respiratory function. Massage is so important. We know that our patients here at the Norton Cancer Institute love having massage. Reflexology is a kind of massage. It can increase vagal tone and even decrease blood pressure. Massage can reduce some of the heightened activity in the vagus nerve. Try giving yourself a foot massage by rotating your ankle rubbing your sole in short strokes, and gently stretching your toes back and forth. I'm a music therapist, and I know through and through that music can help motivate us, bring us joy, and tap into our emotions. When it comes to the vagus nerve, the research is mixed on how music affects it, but your vagus nerve is connected to your vocal cords, the muscles at the back of your throat and passes through your inner ear. Try humming or singing are just listening to calm, soothing music. These sounds and vibrations may stimulate your vagus nerve. Your vagus nerve affects your mental and physical health. It can help with the following. It can treat depression, regulate your emotions, reduce blood pressure, lower your heart rate, reduce inflammation, and treat migraines and cluster headaches. It plays a powerful role in your body. Keeping your vagus nerve strong and balanced can help you respond more effectively to a variety of emotional and physiological symptoms. My name is Amber Estes. I am a psych mental health nurse practitioner with the behavioral oncology team here at Norton Cancer Institute. I have been in practice for two and a half years. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about a model that is recently something that I've been interested in and have learned more about how to integrate it into the care of our patients who are experiencing trauma. It is called the polyvagal model 
and that was actually a theory that was developed in the 90s by a neuroscientist, but now has come to inform how we think about trauma and the effects of trauma on the body. Trauma can affect our nervous system, fight or flight, and that's what's re referred to as our sympathetic nervous system. And then the other part is our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of our nervous system that helps keep us calm when we are in traumatic, dangerous situations, which is where we would like to be most of the time, um, because in that state, we feel the most calm, we feel the most at ease, have the best ability to interact with others, and engage with other socially. Components of the polyvagal model, there's three different states. Ventral vagal state is the state that we as humans really feel the best in. That is the state that we feel calm, relaxed, and have the best ability to engage with our environment. The next state, the sympathetic nervous system state, and that is that state where we perceive a threat and perceive a stressor and we are feeling on edge, nervous, scared, frightened. And that would be the time that you would feel like you were getting, either getting ready to fight the stressor or run away from it. Ultimately at the end, if we are, if that stressor is continued or you are exposed to that trauma or that trauma could potentially be life-threatening, we can go into a state called dorsal vagal response which is ultimately that immobilization that can lead to the symptoms that we often see in people that have experienced extreme trauma. They can feel um, depressed, more isolated. They do not like to interact with people, feel like they have difficulty forming relationships, emotional and numbing state of, of arousal. And, that, and those are people that we see that may have like a flat affect or not be able to um, connect as well. So as clinicians, we can try to help patients understand these these states that can happen and understand that you know trauma really does have an impact on us neurologically and physically there are ways to and tap into that or the ventral vagal area of our nervous system to help promote that calm state some ways to do that around vagal exercises talking about trauma with with a therapist or someone who is trained in these techniques and then also engaging with others and doing things that can engage you socially to promote that ventral vagal. Teach ourselves how to do those at home. And some of those could be taking deep breaths and using grounding techniques. You know, an example of a grounding technique may be, you know, sitting in a quiet room where you think about where you are right in that moment and thinking about, okay, what are five things I see around me? What are four things I hear? What are three things I can smell? Um, those are the kind of grounding techniques that we can talk about with patients and ultimately give them the ability to do those on their own at home. Exercises like yoga or mindful movement where you're really focusing on being present in the moment, using your deep breathing to calm and activate that vagal nerve and to help calm your heart rate as well because that we know that that is also involved in the stress response. Here's LCSW Erica Wiley. A lot of the people we see already come in with trauma or have had traumatic events happen to them. I think, I don't think we can find someone who hasn't been through something traumatic um, in, our, in our line of work, but also 
just in general, like humans have come across a lot of adverse experiences and especially depending on where those experiences happened in their life could be impacting them today. But not everybody who has a traumatic experience or has been through a traumatic event, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they have long lasting trauma effects now, but it does impact the how they come to us, how they experience their cancer journey, and how they react to this new traumatic event of having cancer and uh, facing death and life and these really heavy topics in this part of their life. So the three E's, that's what I always try to tell people is events, effects, and experience. Events are, are adverse and can be very intense, like having cancer, that is a traumatic event, whether impacting you personally, impacting the patient personally, or being secondhand, like caregiving, having a family member go through this. This is a very adverse event and events, multiple events kind of compiling into one journey through cancer treatment. And then also repeated exposure to traumatic events like first responders having to go to the hospital, being scared of like, okay, what's this? fresh medical event that's happening. Now I have to go to the hospital again. And, you know, it's like repeated exposure to events can culminate into some pretty significant traumatic effects, which leads to my, me to my next E. So events and then effects, basically the reaction, like how are people reacting to having a trauma in their life, having effects related to that experience or those experiences and then also, like I said earlier, you know, if you had, if a person had traumatic events in their past, how does that affect them as they're going through this new traumatic event too? Are they experiencing distressing memories? Are they having behavioral concerns? Are they experiencing anxiety? Are they having, are they being triggered in some type of way? Have you, like, are folks having nightmares? Are they avoiding, are they hypervigilant? You know, all of these things can kind of indicate that, okay, this person might not be very super regulated internally. And then also how the individual experiences the traumatic event, that's what really defines it for the person. And it helps us as practitioners to kind of diagnose and kind of get cued into like, okay, this person might be experiencing a traumatic effect. A lot of um, when people think of PTSD, they think of nightmares or dissociative experiences. That's definitely a big cue for us, but it also could be other types of symptoms too. Avoiding, avoidance, dissociation, just feeling difficult uh, with concentration, feeling spaced out, maybe emotionally numb and kind of keeping those really difficult feelings at a bit of a arm's length and negative thoughts and mood maybe difficulty remembering or difficulty remembering facts the linear trans, uh, transgression of time um, ongoing negative moods irritability and then also discounting positive experiences or difficulty really being in the moment we also see this with arousal symptoms like outbursts um, recklessness some self-destructive behavior, some maybe unhealthy coping skills, things like that. 
sleep problems. I think that's a really big indicator. And it's really hard though, if someone has cancer, it's sleep disturbances and, um, and some of these, these just difficult changes physically can also maybe be like, okay, well, is that a trauma response or is that related to the physical side effects of cancer treatment? So how does this relate to cancer? Well, cancer, again, just more than one stressful event. Some of our patients come to us with pre-existing trauma and also is cancer a traumatic experience? Short answer, yes. Does everyone who have can has cancer, Do they? does every single person we see have PTSD? Short answer is no. Um, and it's like I was talking about earlier, not everyone who has a traumatic experience uh, or goes through a traumatic event necessarily has um, trauma that is long lasting. It's all about how the individual experiences that traumatic event or events. And then also it's kind of tricky because we have to figure out, okay, symptoms often occur a little bit further on down the line. So with the initial diagnosis or initial treatment or the initial surgery or whatever, sometimes those symptoms of PTSD can kind of pop up within three months later or even can appear months or even years later on down the line so it's kind of tricky to diagnose like okay well how, you know i think a lot of people will say why is this happening up now why are we seeing this now it's been a while well it's because the brain is a tricky tricky organ some of the triggers we have to watch out for is you know being diagnosed receiving treatment physical pain <clears throat> excuse me physical pain staying in the hospital if you stay overnight waiting for test results waiting for scans getting bad news or not great news and then also compounding life factors and then learning that the cancer has recurred and then facing mortality and that's of course a very traumatic experience as um is going through that Guilt is a big one. I think a lot of times people who've experienced trauma have emotional reactions and sometimes they're not really sure why they're having these reactions and these types of thoughts and feelings related to their trauma. Guilt is a big one that I've personally found um, to be common. And then also just some of these really just make a lot of sense. Being fearful, being angry, being defensive a little bit um, maybe paranoid or hypervigilant, maybe trying to cancel, cancel appointments, cancel um, because maybe they're trying to institute some sort of protection or defense um, for their own mental health. And also uh, memory loss, sleep problems, loss of interest in life. Um, but uh, some of these triggers that we might wanna check out are triggers, triggers for these reactions seeing certain things, hearing um, hearing certain words, reminders basically of their, tra tra their trauma or the traumatic events. So questions to ask patients, when did this start? Has there been a change? Are there anything specific that could be triggering people to have this response? And also how long do these symptoms last? Um, I think that's really a good, good place to start and try to figure out even if they don't have PTSD necessarily, it's they could be experiencing a traumatic reaction to what they are going through and what they've been through in the past. If folks have been through mental health issues in the past, 
adding more traumatic experiences onto this um, can only exacerbate uh, long-standing traumatic reactions and experiences. We want to take care of you no matter what's going on with you. We are here to support you in every way, including not just emotionally, but physically too. Come to our resource center and check out all of our ongoing services and support groups, including gentle yoga, Tai Chi for health, melt and foot class, Nia moving to heal, and come see me for music therapy. We can sing, we can hum, we can try these Vegas exercises together. Hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Norton Cancer Institute Hopecast, casting hope out into our community.